This is the BT Rio Chapter Podcast, episode 20. I'm your host, Stephen Hughes, and this cast is the sequel to our chat with speaker John Corley in episode 19 as part of our series called Overcoming Challenges in Education, Meeting with the Speakers. So let's get straight to it. We were talking to John in episode 19 about some specific points related to storytelling and conversational uh, elements in storytelling. So welcome back, John. It's great to be back, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes, yes. So I have a few more questions. We had five topics we talked about in episode 19. Now in episode, let's let's talk a bit about some other things related to your plenary. So um, what if the students or the teachers, still going back to the idea of the classroom as a possible learning space for conversation, uh, what if both of us, teachers and students, are overly concerned with how things are being said, you know, the whole thing about the language and not maybe dealing with interaction that takes place during a conversation? Yeah, um, my experience is that if you're teaching conversation properly, they don't. Because conversation is about your identity and about negotiating your identity, that very, very quickly becomes the focus. Mm -hmm. And you actually have to pull people back from the activity to get them to reflect in the language. So that's why I think it's very, very important to record uh, some of the activities so that people can go back and look at it and say, how can you improve that? How can you be more concerned with how things are being said during a conversation. How can you say things in different ways, use different adjectives? Um, So for example, one of of the things that uh, I suggest people do is when when somebody's telling a story, is that the listener simply repeats the uh, evaluative vocabulary. So if the speaker says, yeah, I was there and it was awful, the listener says, awful. so, so the listener is yeah. paying attention to the evaluative terms and simply repeating them. Right. And then one thing that you can do in the second revised version of that is instead of saying awful, you, you give a synonym. So if somebody says, I was there, uh, there was this terrible smell, it was awful, uh, the per- person says terrible or disgusting. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so you're expanding your, your vocabulary of evaluation and emotion and empathy. Um, in each revision. But I think people get very, very involved in stories about themselves and the difficulties, in fact, getting them to reflect upon the way they are saying it. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Well, wonderful. And then what what point then, at what point does um, this, what we call speaking, yeah, normally we talk of either speaking or oral production, when, when does it become really conversation? What does it turn well, into conversation? I, I, I think you answered the question uh, in in your previous statement when you said that conversation is about interaction. Uh, For me, speaking turns into conversation when the focus and the purpose is purely interactional. And again, one of the difficulties is that when I trained as an English language teacher, I was told that speaking was transactional. It was all about information gaps. People uh, exchanged information. People do exchange information in conversations. People exchange opinions in conversations. But the point is to construct and negotiate identities, to say, this is who I am, who are you? Right, and And to bond, right? to bond, to have yeah. a relationship, exactly. That's it. Can we have a relationship? So, so, mm-hmm. 
And, and it, it's that genuine authenticity that is very difficult to recreate in the classroom. It's to say, okay, let's have an activity where we are really bonding, where we are really establishing and negotiating relationships. So we have to construct activities which invites people really to invest their identities in the interaction. That's it. And that, that can be tricky sometimes because I know that some students may feel a bit exposed or they feel scared Absolutely. of jumping in and really showing themselves. Yeah? Uh, Absolutely. And as teachers, we have to be yeah. sensitive to that. That's right. uh, but very often teachers, uh, very often in my experience, learners want to uh, engage okay. their selves in an interaction. So, so but, but the t you're quite right. The teacher has to be careful that people are not exposing too much. Right. Or, expo or you're inviting people to expose things that they don't want to. So you, you don't say to people, for example, okay, okay tell me a secret. <laughs> if they don't want to. That's true, if that's they don't, true. If they don't want to tell you a secret, you know. Yeah, that might not be a good idea, right? Okay. Well, uh, I think my next question all kind of ties into the first because you talked a little about the evaluative language or focusing on the evaluative part of it um, and the emotional part of, of the information that's being relayed, right? Why teach yeah. students how to back channel? Do you think this is an important oh. skill? Uh, it's it's an absolutely vital skill, back-channeling. Listening in a conversation is as important as speaking. And you have to listen properly. And you have to give the appropriate responses. You can't give too much, but you certainly can't give too little. Right. Uh, and if you don't back-channel, then it's like dancing the tango with only one partner it, 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 or, or, or playing a football match as they're doing in Britain just now with no fans it's right. an empty it's an empty experience a conversational story with no response mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we used to do with our university students in the social linguistics classes is we told them we used, to, we used to go out and have a conversation in your mother tongue with somebody but don't give them any response. Don't give them any emotion. And observe what happens to that person. Right. Often they become very animated because they, they are desperate to construct a response or to elicit a response from you. Right. So you need to give responses as a listener. And these can be minimal responses like, mm-hmm, yeah, sure, okay. yeah. Which simply says, I'm going, I'm interested, carry on. But also you want that kind of empathic echoing that I right. talked about. When they say, oh, it was horrible, you say, yeah, that was terrible. And right. When they say, oh, it was fantastic, you go, great. So <laughs> you, you're, you're giving people uh, the kind of response that they're inviting you to have That's through right. telling the story. Uh -huh. even, though, even sometimes it's not just the words, it might even be a, uh, maybe a sound. Like I said, oh, oh yeah, like it's, 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 oh, you know, it's uh, very, it's, it's uh, body uh, language, it's facial expression, yeah. it's, it's how close you're standing to the person who's talking, right. you can be too close, right. uh, you can be too far away. And this is culture as well, because True. different cultures have different norms of response. Mm -hmm. So for example, my, my experience is that Brazilians are very responsive, they're very effusive, but yes. other other cultures, other like Scottish people, for example, we have a reputation of being quite cold because we're British. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, there, are, there are exceptions. There are exceptions yes. to the rule, yeah. right, but, right. but you, you have to be sensitive to the expectations of your listener That's and the it. expectations of the speaker. 
Great. And you can play with this in the classroom. You can say, okay, uh, give me a scale from zero to five in terms of your engagement with the story. And you can say, okay, I want you to tell a story and I want you to be bored. Uh, or I want you to tell a story and I want the listener to be too involved. Okay. And you can have a lot of fun, you can have a lot of fun with that. Uh, over, over responding to That's the listener's it. story. And, and, and that is a good way of gauging a sensitivity as to what is appropriate. Wow, very good tips, Eric. I think play around with the same idea. And I think it goes back to the idea of rehearsal because we do that sometimes in um, some yeah. classes where we ask students to do activities again, but maybe that maybe tweaking it a little bit, changing those yeah. little aspects rather than doing the same activity, but doing it but yeah. now with a bored tone, uh, maybe yeah. excited, yeah. angry, uh, yeah. distant, that would change a lot and show them this, the effects that this has on the interaction. Great point. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, you also work with corpus um, searches and you're using corpus, which um, are wonderful tools online to show how language is used frequently, right? Which I also love using. Very big fan of corpus linguistics. So, what are some other ways we can use corpus tools to maybe promote uh, conversation in the classroom and get students to work with language in the classroom? Yeah, um, well, if you're using online corpora like COCA or uh, the SOAP corpus, is very, very good, something right. like that. Um, I, I tend to use corpora more with teachers, but you can use them with students to, range, to, to raise sensitivity. Okay. about certain parts of speech particularly if you've got a corpus like coca that shows you uh, how frequent a particular item is in the spoken part of the corpus and the written part of the corpus and you'll find that certain adverbs for example are incredibly frequent in speech right. uh, a word like totally for example <laughs> uh, yeah definitely uh, is very, very frequent because we use it in, in speech in ways that we don't use it in writing. So in speech, totally is an agreement marker. So you'll say something and I'll say totally. And this is what is sometimes called confluence. I, I'm, I'm empathizing and agreeing with your position. It's a very important word to use for a listener. Again, it's part of listenership. So you're talking and you say something, total, I say totally. Totally. And, and, you, and you know that I'm your friend. <laughs> you, you connect right there. Yeah, we're connecting through the word you connect. Telephone. Is it totally so, like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, For and sure. um, when I was when I was constructing a corpus, uh, a corpus of speech in Scotland, uh, many years ago, we could actually tell the age of the speaker by the frequency with which they used the word like. Wow, that's great. <laughs> older that's great. older people infrequent, younger people really frequent. Uh -huh. uh, and younger women in, in particular, it was like every 25th word was the word like in conversation, which is really, really high. It's very high. Mm -hmm. And it's important uh, for reported speech and conversation because you can dramatize a conversational story by saying she was like, he was like, and I was like, and he was like, and she was like. And then you say, exactly report the speech. So it becomes a frame for reported speech that turns the conversation or the conversational story into a kind of play. You Wonderful. get the words of the yeah. participants. So corpora are really, really important because they identify these really, really frequent features of speech 
things that are much more frequent in speech than they are in writing. And when we look at them in spoken interaction, in corpora, we can see their conversational function. And wow. that's how we would use corpus tools. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm currently doing my, my PhD in that, in corpus linguistics. Oh. So this is oh, an area that I'm really, really into. And when I heard when I heard you talk about it during the, last, the session, sorry, I was like, oh, good. Because I'm trying to convince more and more teachers to use that in the classroom with their yeah. students, not just for conversation, but for writing, for everything, basically. Um, because it, it does help to, to maybe answer the big question that students may have. Is it very common? Do they use it like that in English? Because I might say it as a, a speaker of the language, but it's just my experience. I don't know what everybody uses, yeah. what everybody does, I see. And as so, you know, Stephen, uh, cor corpora revealed to us native speakers things that yeah. we didn't realize about our own language. Exactly. We have an idea. Uh, that I think this is what we, we yeah. say, but we have no idea, really. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, all right. Coming on to the last question, I promise. As a conversational ethno ethnographer, I love that because you talked about us becoming observers <laughs> of language, but as an ethnographer yourself, what is your preferred story type? Yeah, this is, this is when you go out and you actually just start observing the, the world around you. You start listening to people in restaurants. You start listening to people at family gatherings. And you think, what kind of stories are being told? Who is telling them? And what is their function? My favorite type of story is has to be the anecdote because for me that is the ways in that is the way in which we put our we put ourselves on the line. We expose ourselves. So we say sad. this is my emotional response to this situation. And I'm inviting you to share it or reject it. Wow. And uh, <laughs> and I can use that I can do that with a very, very very rich range of vocabulary. I was doing this in a conference down, I think it was in Uruguay. Uh, it, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was in Uruguay. And um, we were talking about the your favorite emotional vocabulary. And one of the participants said, I like saying I was devastated. <laughs> and she went around looking for conversational stories that could end with, and it was devastating. I felt devastated. So that the person would say, yeah, I was devastated too. <laughs> and if you can be devastated together, that is a friendship that is never That's gonna it. fade. That's good enough, right? <laughs> very good. So I like anecdotes. Good. Yes, yes, that's right, true. You mentioned totally, you mentioned words like absolutely, for example, when you hear yeah. people say that, if somebody says at the end, it's also one way of um, really recognizing the other person's, uh, say, story, yeah. Yeah, validating their story. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. yeah absolutely. Yeah, you say that absolutely. You hear people say that a lot in, in, in language nowadays. Yeah. Huh? Absolutely, yeah. no doubt. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. for sure, those kinds of, of chunks that do work. Um, and if we get students to do that all more often, that would be wonderful, yeah. actually. Yeah. All right, yeah. great. And I think also you said about being observers. Uh, I mean, both of us learning Portuguese. I think we've done that. I mean, I would do that a lot at the beginning. I would go on and go to bars and listen to people in, in public transport and just listen to how they talk and not pay attention really to the, the actual content, but the way things were, were constructed, you know, so how people actually, yeah. actually took turns 
um, what what kept stories going, who kept the story going, that yeah. kind of thing. That's very yeah. very important. Yeah, one of the one of the most important words that I learned very early in my learning of Portuguese was mesmo. Because yeah. you can get away with so much simply by changing the vocabulary, by changing your intonation. Mesmo, mesmo, mesmo. That's mesmo. right. So true. Uh, and without one word, you can actually survive. That's right. You see, that's the spirit. All right. Well, it does seem fitting that this conversation has been quite engaging. We have a very good talk lovely. here. Lovely. See, lovely. Wonderful. Well, on behalf of the BT Rio chapter, I'd like to thank you, John, once again. It's been my pleasure. Delivering the plenary, first of all, and for taking the time to do the podcast with us to talk about this, right? So, again, really good having you and doing the partnership with the, uh, the Intercultural Language Education SIG was really good to put us together. And I it was see a great partnership. Can, this is it. We can do more of this, more and more. Let's see we can how we can move forward with this. But this was wonderful. Thank you once again. And, My pleasure, um, Stefan. Thank you. Where can we find you online? Is there any is there a website or any where else? We can uh, well, the intercultural language the intercultural language education SIG has a Facebook page, so right. uh, I, I I check in on that all the time. Uh, I'm probably in the situation of moving institutions, so my email address is, is changing. Okay. Uh, but through through the uh, Intercultural Language Education SIG Facebook page. All right. Uh, Wonderful. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today, everyone. So if you missed the Overcoming Challenges in Education webinars that took place during our event, July 5th and the 4th and 5th of 2020, follow us on Instagram at BT Rio underline chapter for more details and lots of other useful info for you teachers. See you all. Thank you for listening.